This fall, we are wrestling with tough questions of faith, and all of these questions are important because they are questions raised by Jesus himself in the Gospels. And uh, we've established that one of Jesus's primary teaching methods was to ask questions, questions that were timely and that would cause his followers to think and to grow in their faith, questions that we still need to wrestle with in our own faith journey today. We're in John chapter 5. We're told there's a festival going on. So Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and by the sheep gate, there's a pool called Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. Think of your hand, kind of laid out like that. And at this pool, there are many people who wanted to be healed. You'd find the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, all kinds of people that were seeking to be healed. But there is one man there who Jesus tells us has been ill for 38 years. Now, I don't, I don't want to correct Abby. That doesn't necessarily mean he's been at the pool 38 years, but he's been ill at least 38 years. He might have been at the pool for 38 years, maybe his entire life. And, and back in that day, it was believed that the water of this pool had healing powers. And when the water was stirred up, many believed that the angels were at work and people could be healed from their illness or their condition. It's interesting in the NRSV version of this story, there is not a verse four. (laughs) Um, That's the verse that says the angels would stir up the water, Uh, but that's in the original uh, text. John tells us that it's the Sabbath day and Jesus encounters this man sitting close to the pool and realizing that he had been there for a long time, Jesus asks him a profound question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? And the man answers him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Well, upon hearing that, Jesus says, stand up, take up your mat and walk. And John tells us that at once the man was made well. He was healed. He stood up, he took up his mat and he walked. Healing was a major part of Jesus's life and ministry. We find examples of him healing all throughout uh, the different gospels. People desperately wanted to come see Jesus because he healed. And I personally believe that Jesus still heals today. And if we are to be his followers, that means that we too are called to be healers because everybody is broken to some degree. And we all need healing, especially, I would say, after the past year and a half. I need healing. You need healing. We all need healing. And I know that's true for a number of reasons. Think about this. Life is hard. It hurts. We live in a world where people are cruel, manipulative, and mean-spirited. People can be self-centered, egotistical, arrogant, only looking out for themselves. People can be two-faced, passive-aggressive, spiteful, unforgiving. We live in a world that is competitive and money-driven, and if you don't stand up for yourself, you just might get run over. We live in a world where the nice guy is taken advantage of, and the little guy often doesn't have a voice. We live in a world of divorce and broken relationships and suicide and depression, addiction, cancer, anxiety. 
that's a quick overview of, of why we need healing. That's why we need Christ. Fred Craddock, who was one of uh, my mentors, he was a New Testament scholar, taught at Emory, uh, probably one of the best preachers to ever speak in the English language. He says this about this story in John 5. He points out that there's not one word in this passage about the sick man's faith. Not one hint that he believed in Jesus or anything else, except that it was believed there was magic in the stirring of the water. And if we read just a little bit further, we find out that this man wasn't even grateful for being healed. In fact, when the religious authorities saw him and, and saw him carrying his mat, they said, who healed you? He didn't even know. Then when they informed him that healing and mat carrying are both forbidden on the Sabbath, the man ratted out Jesus as the one who healed him and, and, and the one who told him to carry his mat. Basically saying, Jesus broke the Sabbath laws, not me. But who was this man that Jesus healed by the poolside at Bethzatha? Fred Craddock says he was a real bum. That's who he was. He had no gratitude, no faith, no humility, no guts. He didn't deserve to be healed. He didn't deserve anything. That's who Jesus healed. An outcast who lived on the margins of society, a man who had been on the welfare rolls for 38 years. The man Jesus healed was one of those poor people who usually remained outsiders, strangers to be pitied or despised, helped or pushed, uh, ignored or studied, but rarely accepted on the same terms as the rest of society. Those are the people that were lying around this pool hoping for a miracle. They were the ones that Jesus healed. Now there's one question that is central to this passage that I want to lift up this morning. And it's the question that Jesus asks this man. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? I think it's the question that he continues to ask all of us. Because if you think about it, there's so many circumstances in our lives that may need to change. But first, we must want to change them. There are many habits that we need to drop, but first, we must want to drop them. There are many friends that we probably don't need to hang around, but first, we need to decide to find more positive friends. Some of you have heard the story over the years of how I met my wife, Megan. It's pretty fun, funny. Uh, exactly 15 years ago, we were introduced by a mutual friend at a fundraiser here in town that was held over at Bellmead Plantation. I didn't believe she was a doctor. She didn't believe I was a preacher. Uh, I was uh, drinking a beer on the dance floor. She even told me what a terrible pickup line that was to tell somebody they were a preacher. But we were both telling each other the truth. But she still had to go to the church sign and see my name on there. And I had to Google her name and see Megan Partridge, MD. She really was a doctor. And we still laugh about that. But we both consider ourselves to be in the healing profession. She's an allergist. What drove her into her profession was not only her love for science, but also her desire to help and heal others 
and improve their quality of life. And in an allergy, you can improve somebody's quality of life very quickly with medication, with shots, and somebody can go from being absolutely miserable to feeling much better. I went into the ministry because of my faith in God through Christ and because I have a deep passion and calling to help people who are hurting. And the healing that I try to do is not necessarily medical healing, but it's spiritual. And it's amazing how those two go hand in hand. Doctors will tell you that you cannot be healed physically without being healed mentally and spiritually and vice versa. So in the words of Henry Nouwen, I've always considered myself a wounded healer, as do many other folks on our staff. Somebody who's able to take their own pain and their own hurt and relate it to others, to lead others through their pain. Now in one of his books, Henry Nouwen says this, in our world of loneliness and despair, there is an enormous need for men and women who know the heart of God, a heart that forgives and cares and reaches out and wants to be healed. In that heart, there is no suspicion, no vindictiveness, no resentment and not a tinge of hatred. It's a heart that wants only to give love and receive love in response. It's a heart that suffers immensely because it sees the magnitude of human pain and suffering and the great resistance to trusting the heart of God and wants to offer consolation and hope to others. But here's the deal when it comes to healing, and Jesus knew this. Before any of us can be healed in life from whatever it is that ails us, we must first have a desire to be made well. We must want things to change. Are you tired of being angry and resentful over something that took place in your past? Do you want to be healed from it? Are you tired of holding on to a grudge because somebody did you wrong or stabbed you in the back or treated you poorly? Do you want to be healed from it? Is your marriage dull and stagnant? Are you and your spouse simply coexisting, raising children together, not really making time for each other? Do you want that to change? Do you want to be healed from it? Are you tired of financial stress in your family? You know you shouldn't probably buy some of the things that you buy, but you do it anyway. Do you want to be healed from it? Are you drinking too much during this pandemic? Liquor stores are doing great, I've been told. You know you should probably stop or pull back, but you can't. Whenever you drink, you say stupid things, you make dumb decisions, and then you feel bad the next day. Do you want to be healed from it? Are you tired of feeling like you don't have any friends? Feeling like nobody really cares about you for who you are? Do you feel lonely? Have you thought about going and trying to be a friend to other people? Do you want to be healed from it? Are you tired of the divisions and the hostility in our country? Are you tired of politics and vaccine arguments, ruining friendships and family relationships? Are you wondering why there's so much anger and fear in the culture? Why can't people just be civil to each other and treat each other with respect and dignity? Do you wanna be part of that solution? Do you wanna help heal the country? If healing is to happen in any of our lives, in any given circumstance, we must answer the question that Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? Because truth be told, a lot of us like to hold on 
to our misery and to our pain. We like to wallow in it. We like to complain about it. We like to let it define us. And so if having a desire to be made well is not there, it probably won't happen. But in addition to answering this question, yes, I want to be healed, I want to be made well, there are some other components to healing when it comes to our faith and to our spiritual life. The first component, I believe, is prayer. Prayer is a big part of the healing process for any Christian. Martin Copenhaver, in the book that I recommended this fall called Jesus is the Question, tells a story about going to see his doctor. And after the doctor, uh, you know, he'd been in the hospital, he had AFib, and he goes to see his doctor, and the doctor's pouring over his medical charts, and finally he looks up and he says, do you experience stress in your life? And Martin said, yes, don't we all? <laughs> and, and, and then the doctor looked at him and he said, and this is hilarious, um, at home or at work? <laughs> well, primarily at work, Copenhaver said. To which his doctor responded, well, how can caring for souls be stressful? <laughs> That's funny, by the way. <laughs> but then the doctor asked him another question. Are you praying? And Copenhaver said, yes, I pray every day. And the doctor continued, half an hour every day, uninterrupted, no distractions. And not many people can say that they do that. We do quick prayers when we need something or want something, but prayer is a powerful force for healing. Secondly, to be healed as Christians, we have to come to terms with the fact that we all have wounds from our childhood and from our past. Some people have more wounds than others. Uh, Hunter Mobley is gonna give the second of two talks Wednesday night on the Enneagram and relationships and marriage. But one of the things that Enneagram scholars will tell you is that it's based on the concept that we all have a wounding childhood message that forms our personality and who we are. So if you're familiar with this, for ones, the message is you shouldn't make mistakes. You should be perfect and meet the mark. For twos, you'll find love as long as you're helpful and attentive to the needs of others. For threes, it's you will find love as long as you wow us with your success and your accomplishments. For fours, it's we don't have enough room for your complex, diverse, changing feelings. For fives, don't be too comfortable in the world because resources are scarce and you need to preserve and make sure that they don't run out. For sixes, the world is full of danger, so you need to be careful. For sevens, you shouldn't depend on anybody for anything. For eights, everybody can betray you, so protect yourself. Don't trust anybody. And nines, you shouldn't assert yourself. Just go along and get along because your presence may not really matter. These are some of the basic messages that we hear, whether we're aware of them or not, that form our personalities and that continue to impact us our entire lives. So we all must accept the fact that we have to deal with something from our past and usually that something was completely out of our control. Being human is hard. And if we don't deal with the hurt, then we go on and we hurt other people. We take it out on other people, and that's not fair. Third this morning, a big part of Christian healing, I believe, is forgiveness and letting go of the past. We can't change it, we can only learn from it. 
But unfortunately, too many people are stuck in the past. They can't get over something that happened years or even decades ago. How many of you have been uh, watching the show Ted Lasso on uh, Apple TV? Just put your hand up. See John Steele. You remember one of the great lines from Ted Lasso? He's talking to one of the soccer players, and he, he says, hey, you know what the happiest animal in the world is? The guy looks confused. He looked back at me. He said, the goldfish. He's only got a 10-second memory. Happiest guy on earth. I think about my mother's suicide a lot, deeply impacted our family in many ways, but I had to forgive her so that I could move on. Doesn't mean that I don't think about it often. I just don't want it to keep me from living the rest of my life. She never got to meet Megan, she never got to meet my kids. But Paul says we have to press on. And one of the best ways that we press on is through forgiveness. Lastly, this morning, one of the primary ways that we get healed is by being together in community. And this, my friends, is why we're going to start pushing to keep getting people back into this church. I love online, and I'm so glad that folks are online, and that will always be there. But there is nothing like being together in community, in church, in a small group, in a class. My daughter is a type 1 diabetic. She was diagnosed two years ago. Yesterday, we had the JDRF walk for uh, Middle Tennessee at the zoo, which was interesting. And um, this is how community comes together to support families who are dealing with this, to raise money, to help find a cure. It doesn't matter what we're going through in life. We don't have to face it alone. We have each other, and that's powerful. It's why we push for small groups, life groups. And if you're not in one, then tell us, and we'll try to help you be in one. If you want to lead one, that's even better. God does not want us to face the challenges of life alone. Henry Nouwen says, beneath all the great accomplishments of our time, there is a deep current of despair. While efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, the loneliness, the isolation, the lack of friendship and intimacy, the broken relationships, the boredom, the feelings of emptiness and depression, and a deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in our success-oriented world. So many people will ask the question, well, I, well, I believe in healing, and I think it's important, but, but what about the... What about the times when it doesn't happen? What about my friend who's dying of cancer and, and, and she's not going to get better? What about my, my cousin who, who uh, you know, wanted to be healed from, from leukemia and, and, and he didn't make it? And, and those are the hardest questions to answer when it comes to faith. But I'll close with this story told by Tony Campolo, well-known preacher and evangelist. He tells a story about being in a church out in Oregon where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. And Campolo prayed boldly for the man's healing, that he would be made well. And the next week, he got a telephone call from the man's wife. And she said, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And Campolo thought when he heard her use the past tense verb that maybe his cancer had been eradicated. But before he could think so much about it, she said, well, he died, and Campolo felt terrible, but she continued, don't feel bad. 
When he came into the church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time and he hated God. He was 58 years old. He wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. And the more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But the lady told Tony Campolo, after you prayed for him, a peace had come over him and a joy had come into his heart. Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we've prayed, we've, we've, been, we've been together. It's been absolutely wonderful. And so I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and for praying for healing. And then she said something incredibly profound to Tony Campolo. She said, you know, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Like Jesus asks the man by the pool, do you want to be healed? I hope the answer is yes. Now let's go out and help heal others. Amen.